In your worship folder is an outline, and you can, a whole bunch of things in mind. There's an outline that you can follow along with. Not all the verses will be on there today, and you will understand why in a few moments. Um, but there's things that you can follow along. Um, we're in a series, and the song, I'm sorry. There. No comments on the OCD. Um, we're in a series, and the song we just sang, it's like the third time I've said that, um, fits perfectly with what we're talking about. Because the song that we just sang talked about when, when this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm going to choose. I feel this, but I choose to believe this. That's what the series we're, we're, we're looking at right now. It's what's on your mind. Um, and, and it's about choosing. You see, even on the worship folders, how to deal with how you feel. And those feelings that come along, the things that happens, we can't always choose what brings those, and we can't always choose that we have those feelings, but we can choose in the middle of those feelings what we are really going to believe, and we can choose, here's how I'm going to live. We talked the first week about hope, how you can choose hope if you feel hopeless. Too many people, once they feel hopeless, it's like, that's it. Not realizing that, no, because of Jesus, you can choose hope in the middle of that. You can choose compassion. You can choose compassion when you're not feeling compassion for the people around you or for the groups or the crowds around you. We talked last week about when you feel like it's all about you, you can choose humility. And those are things that we have to choose in order to be who that we should be. And so we want to figure out how do we deal with how we feel. This week, week four, and by the way, if you missed any of those, you can online, iloveourchurch.com, journeyinourchurch.com, it's on iTunes, you can listen to all those for free, and the notes are there for you. But this week, we're going to talk about um, something that's extremely important. It's choosing gratitude when you feel unsatisfied. Choosing gratitude when you feel unsatisfied. This is huge, hundreds of times. In Scripture, we're, we're told to give thanks. We're told to be thankful. We're told to have that attitude of gratitude. It talks about that over and over and over again. Here's what I know. The best days of my life are those days when I'm thinking and expressing thoughts of gratitude. I wish I could just stop there and say, that's what my life is like. But the worst days of my life have been when I've refused to be content. I've refused to be satisfied with the life God has handed me, and I'm not choosing gratitude. It's, it's more important than you can imagine. We often struggle with dissatisfaction. We struggle with discontentment. And if you have, you understand, like me, it's like a debilitating disease. It affects everything we do. When we don't have gratitude, it affects everything we do. It's um, part of it is like it's our culture, it's our consumer culture, but it's also our sin nature. We keep searching for more than what God provides, thinking that He really doesn't know best, and we have to choose more. So the question is, how? How do we choose gratitude? I'm going to just camp on a verse for just a moment in Psalm 136. The first verse of Psalm 136 says this. It starts out with, give thanks. That's the, the whole gratitude thing, attitude of gratitude. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. 
couple, for me, were just interesting things. When it says, give thanks, you would think that that's, that's like, that's a big deal, that there's a word in the Bible that means give thanks, you know? The word, yada, it's not to be confused with Yoda, because <laughs> that would be thanks you shall give or something like that. Um, very interesting. It's translated, give thanks. Literally, what it means is to throw or to cast on target. Think of darts. You're throwing something, and you're trying to hit the target. You're throwing it. You're casting it. It's on target. It is spot on. That's literally what the word means. Here's what it says. Grateful recognition, which includes thanksgiving, confession, or praise, but then no one word, no one word in the Old Testament means give thanks. That's fascinating to me. Rather, this concept is blended with appropriate praise. That's this thankful recognition and confession. And here's the key. Believers offer this praise with thanksgiving when acknowledging all of the Lord's dealings are right on. They are spot on. That's where that comes in, hitting the target. Our praise, our thanks is a result of recognizing that whatever God does is spot on. It might not be what we think. It might not be what we want. But what he does is spot on. That's what I want you to kind of have in the back of your mind as we're thinking of giving thanks. What God does is right. It's right on target and spot on. When it says his faithful love endures forever, that's translated a whole bunch of different ways in different translations. You're, you may have, uh, as a kid, I remember have, having the word in my old translation say, loving kindness. His loving kindness endured forever. I, I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I still kind of struggle with what loving kindness, it just sounds like they put a couple words together that mean that you're nice to somebody. The problem is that's not what it means. It's translated loving kindness. It's translated love in some translation. His love endures forever, but it's more than that. It's translated mercy in many of the old translations. His mercy endures forever, but it's more than that. Because if that's the only way we see it, then we see, obviously, does God love everybody? Yes. Does he show mercy on everybody? Yes, he does, or we'd all be dead. That's not what it's saying here. This translation hits it pretty good. His faithful love endures forever. The word, it's actually one of those words that I don't know why, but it's just fun to say. It's hesed. I'm sure there's a way to say it, you know, in Hebrew that's like, has a whole bunch of <laughs> kind of sounds in it. Here's what it says. As one of the most important words for love in the Old Testament, hesed is extraordinarily difficult to translate into English. Our language has no obvious equivalent. There is no word that you can put in there that means the same thing as that word. It includes mercy, but it's not limited to it. It extends merciful pity to those in a covenant relationship with God. And that's the key. It also, it also extends judgment to those who oppose it. The same word that means the one means the other. Here's what it says. Even our best descriptions fall short of the full meaning of this word. We can only come to sense its significance as we read and reread the Old Testament. 
the law and the prophets, and there see how this word, hesed, describes the richness of mercy, the richness of love and kindness, which links God and man. That's a huge concept when it's talking about his faithful love. There's a connection. And in the Old Testament, that was the covenant connection between God and the children of Israel. And his faithful love, his connection to them, it said, endures forever. Now, that, I believe, comes on over to us because we're not in that covenant. We have a new covenant. But God is still in this covenant with us because of what Jesus did on the cross, shedding his blood for us. We have this relationship with God because of that. And what he does with us, to us, for us, through us, that will endure forever because of that connection that we have for him. So I want to get that across to you. I want you to get that his faithful love endures forever. And we're going to do it a little bit differently than we usually do at Journey in Our Church. Some of you, what we're about to do, you have never done. Some of you have done it and can't stand it. Sorry, we're doing it anyhow. Some of you have done it and absolutely love it and think it's like the best thing since sliced bread and you'll want to do it every week. And I say, sorry, we're not going to do it every week. I grew up as a kid in my church. We would do this when the pastor would say, take your hymnal. That's a book that has all the 200-year-old songs in it that they have errors, but they could never afford to buy a new hymnal because it costs so much. So we had these old books, and you would turn to number, you know, 492, and they would do what is called a responsive reading. That's where you, the guy up front, which in this case is me, would read something, and everybody else would say something else. Now, I'm not saying those are good or bad. They just are what they are. Most of them were people kind of made them up, not, not in a bad way. They, they wrote these things, and it was good. And if you knew what you were saying, if you knew what you were repeating, it was a good thing. What we're going to do is this one, we're going to do an old one today. Pretty close to 3,000 years old. This is like one of the most popular songs of the year, you know, 900 B.C., they did this all the time. And it's interesting, it's mentioned in like a half a dozen other places in Scripture. We're going to go through together, and we're going to go through Psalm 136 together. It's a little longer than we normally do, but I want you to get... So I'm going to read the first part of the verse, and just like it's up here, the second part will be in italics. That's the part you will read. I know some of you are getting worried because you're going to do this out loud and you don't want the person next to you hearing that you're going to make a mistake. So we're going to practice on this first one and then we're just going to walk through them and I think you're going to understand very quickly why we're doing this and what it's supposed to get for us. So I'm going to do this first one. So I'm going to say that first part. You're going to say the part in italics and until we get it, we're not going on to the second verse. Okay? So here's what I would do. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Oh, that's good. Let's, do, let's keep going. Verse 2. Give thanks to the God of gods. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His faithful love endures forever. 
Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. His faithful love endures forever. Are, are you kind of getting what the guy is putting down here? <laughs> Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. His faithful love endures Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights. His faithful love You're kind of waning a little bit. You've got to keep it up here. <laughs> the sun to rule the day. His faithful love endures And the moon and stars to rule the night. Give thanks to him who killed the firstborn of Egypt. His faithful love Okay, we're getting a little weird here, aren't we? I know some of you had a hard time saying his faithful love endures forever. Because you say, what did he just say? We'll get to that. Verse 11. And by the way, this is what the psalm says. You can look it up. We did, somebody didn't add this to it. This is how he wrote it. This is what they used to sing and say. Verse 11, you'll, you'll start to understand the, the whole killing of the firstborn thing. That's the plagues in Egypt. Here's verse 11. He brought Israel out of Egypt. His faithful love endures forever. He acted with a strong hand and powerful arm. His faithful love endures Give thanks to him who parted the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. He led Israel safely through. But he hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. You see, as they did this back then, they did it the same way that we're doing it. But for us, we're kind of thinking, maybe if you recognize some of the stories, you're kind of thinking of that. These are things that their ancestors, their not-that-far-back ancestors, lived through. This was a big deal to them. And when they heard that, they realized if his faithful love would not have endured forever, we'd still be slaves in Egypt. We'd still be wandering around in the wilderness if that wouldn't have been true. It's, where, where are we? Where, um, go to verse 60 now. Give thanks to him who led his people through the wilderness. That's that 40 days of wandering there, but God was with them, leading them. Verse 17, give thanks to him who struck down mighty kings. He killed powerful kings. See, this is that whole idea uh, of the Hesed love. It's his faithful love, his Hesed love endures forever. With his covenant people, here is the blessing, here is the mercy. But there is a flip side of that. And the kings of that area, when they got through the wilderness and it was time to enter the promised land, the reason that they took that land for them was because God said, this is your promised land, this is where you're going to go. There was another side to that story. God had been working with those people for generations trying to get them to turn to him. And it was time to exercise judgment on them. And that's the flip side of this Hesed love. That's what happens. It says he, he killed powerful kings. Verse 19 Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. Y'all know who Og is, right? No, we don't. But you know what? They did. Verse 21, God gave the land... And here's the reason for all this. God gave the land of these kings as an inheritance. 
a special possession to his servant Israel. He remembered us in our weakness. He saved us from our enemies. He gives food to every living thing. Give thanks to the God of heaven. And I'm pretty sure you just memorized at least half a verse. (laughs) Because the truth is, his faithful love endures forever. That relationship that we have with him because he made promises to us. We have a covenant with him. If you are in that relationship with God because you've claimed Jesus as Savior and you are connected with him, his faithful love will endure forever. It doesn't matter what you're feeling. It doesn't matter what you're going through. His faithful love endures forever. And the gratitude flows faithfully and consistently when it just bubbles up from, from deep inside. That, that, that heart that's fully satisfied in the identity, in the works of God in us as spot on. That we know that what he's doing is right, even if it doesn't feel like it at the moment. We know it because we're choosing that. So that's real easy to say. What's the YBH? What's the yes but how? How do we do this? How do we give thanks because God's good and his faithful love endures forever? This psalm shows us four things that apply directly to them and I believe apply directly to us. Four things, four ways how to be fully satisfied in God. Now this is, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've claimed Jesus as your Savior and you've, you've crossed that line, you trust Him, how can you be fully satisfied in God? Here's the four things, if you're taking notes. This is from verses 1 through 3 of what we just read. Recognize God's perfect character. We recognize His perfect character because God is God. He's good. He's the God of God, the Lord of Lords. We recognize that perfect character, and he is um, the one that has no competition. He has no challengers. He simply is God alone. Our problem comes when we choose other gods. And you say, I've never chosen another god. Yeah, you have, and so have I. It can be popularity. It can be money. It can be television. It can be sports. It can be anything that you place above the one who is God of gods and Lord of lords. We put him first when we recognize his perfect character. When we realize that because of who he is, we can say his faithful love endures forever. And that only comes from getting to know him better. Understanding that perfect character. That's like the Jesus coffee repeat, spending time every day. With him, and we recognize who he is. We recognize that that he is who he says, and he simply is God alone. The second way, first was recognize God's perfect character. The second way, remember God's works. Remember his works. That's verses four through nine. It talks about all the miracles that God has done. God has been a marvelous creator. He's the master architect of the design of the universe around us, the artist 
behind this wonderful world, this amazingly beautiful world that we see. There are, we, it's broken, it's screwed up because of sin, but there is still such incredible beauty in here. And it's funny because what they've always said is, if you look at things that man has made and you start to look more closely at them, magnify things, the closer you look at things man has, man has made, the more crude they become. The closer you look at what God has made, the more amazing and intricate and beautiful it becomes. And we think of the fact that, yeah, it's raining. There's a bunch of people who like that right now. They like the fact that we're getting a nice, slow... It was slow before. I don't know if it is now. But we're getting a nice rain. It's not washing everything away. It's all good. There are some people who are saying, yeah, then I can't ride my motorcycle. I don't know who's saying that, but there are people (laughs) who are saying that. But we look at that creation, and it's not because I'm a wuss, okay? It's not because I'm scared to ride in the rain. It's because I live on a dirt road, and I don't have a dirt bike, all right? So anyhow, nothing to do with anything. I'll cut that from the recording later. We recognize even in the rain, we recognize in the beautiful sunsets, we recognize in the birds, we recognize in everything how amazing God is. We remember those works, and we realize that he made all those things, and when he made us, He made all those things and he said, that's good, that's good, that's good. When he made us, he said, that's very good. And we have this relationship with him when we know him. And we have that connection with him and we see how he takes care of everything else. Look how he loves us. Because his faithful love endures forever. So we recognize his perfect character. We remember his works. And the third thing, we receive God's deliverance. Verses 10 through 17 God has always been a God of deliverance. He has always made a way. When we read, you know, he killed the firstborn of Egypt, it's like, that's kind of weird. Remember, there was judgment being executed on Egypt because they were holding his people captive. They would not let them go, and they had those ten plagues. The final one being that the firstborn would die. Everyone, they were warned. Everyone, they said, this could stop right now if you obeyed God. But that hesed love, that, that thing that was a covenant-keeping thing, it's not only the good for us, it's the flip side of what happens on the other side for the people who are not choosing that, who are choosing the wrong thing. So when we look at those plagues on Egypt, those were actually a thing of intense love for Israel. It was pretty harsh for, for Egypt but it's because they disobeyed. We see the journey of Israel through the Red Sea. God parted the sea, and they were able to go through on dry land. And when they got to the other side, an army of Egypt came through. The waters came back, and there was no more army of Egypt. And it's fascinating. I studied in, in, um, in seminary under a guy who had a, a doctorate from the University of Minnesota in Egyptology. It's like, I didn't even know you could get a doctorate in Egyptology. He'd been there many times. He'd, he'd written a number of books on it. And, and he said it's fascinating because the, the secular world will say this, but they won't recognize it. There was a period in time in which Egypt was going like this. They were getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And on all of a sudden, Egypt, in terms of conquering, in terms of being the strength that they were, went off the map for a while. When they came back, they were never like they were before. And he said, when you look back and you look at the date, it came right after the date of the Exodus. 
They were not a major world power anymore because their army was at the bottom of the Red Sea. His deliverance is symbolic. It's true, that happened. But it's symbolic for us of the way that God makes a way for us. He still delivers. Even in that picture, when they were still in Egypt and they were going to get out the last night, God said, okay, the worst is the last one. The firstborn of everything dies tonight. And Israel's like, what, what, everything? And he said, here's what you do. This is when the Passover started. He said, you have this sacrifice, this sacrificial lamb. You do it this way. You do this. He's very specific on how you do it. And you take the, the blood from that sacrificial innocent lamb and you put it on the doorposts. And when that angel comes through to kill the firstborn, if, if you have done that, he said, I will pass over you. When, whenever I see those pictures of the blood on the doorpost, you know what I see? I see the hands outstretched of Jesus on the cross saying, because of this blood, I will pass over you. You won't be part of that. You'll be on the right side of the Hesed love. God has always done that. That was a picture even of what our deliverance would be. He has always delivered his people. He will always do that. When I receive God's deliverance, I can say, oh my goodness, his faithful love endures forever. That's what you need to remember when you're right in the middle of the thing you need delivered from. Realize, I don't see the end. I don't see the way out. But here's what I'm choosing to believe. His faithful love endures forever. And he will get me through this because he is the God of deliverance. The fourth thing we get from this passage in the last few verses from 18 to the end there is I rest in God's provision. So I recognize his perfect character. I remember his works. I receive that deliverance he has. And I rest in God's provision. Now here's the thing about the provision. We have our list of things that we need. We, we have our list of things that we know in our heads that God has to provide. Our list and his list may not always be the same. Because God is more interested in, re, in meeting my real needs than in the things I perceive at the moment. He's interested in meeting the deepest needs of my life the things that will actually give me satisfaction instead of just some temporary I feel better. Here's three things in terms of God's provision that kind of come from this passage. He meets my need for the essentials of life. And again, not everything I think is essential is essential. But what God knows is essential, He will always meet that need in my life. He meets my need for redemption from sin. It's a need every single human has. That need was met in Jesus, and all I have to do is choose that. I have to recognize that, yes, my sin separated me from God, and I can work real hard to try to make the good outweigh the bad, and it never will. Or I can rest in the fact that Jesus always did it, and I can say, I don't understand all this, God, but I believe that what Jesus did on the cross was for me. And I believe that paid for my sin. And I am choosing to believe. I am choosing to have faith. I am choosing to accept that what Jesus did was for me. And I'm, I'm turning it over to him. 
I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to him. And he meets that need because we all need that. We need to be forgiven from our sin so that we can have that meaning and purpose in life today. The third thing, the real need, the deepest needs of my life, he meets my need for relationship with God and with others. We, remember, we talked about that last week. We have that wired into us. Some of us, it's wired. It's all wired differently because we're all a little different, but we all have that need, and we're all better together. You, you know, I like to describe that in terms of Legos. There are some people who like are the big green sheet of Legos that have all the connections on them. My Lego is this big and has three connections on it. And when I get two on it, and somebody else wants to connect, it's like, mm, it's going to use up all my connections. And when they hit on there, somebody else may have to come off to leave one open. And some people are this big sheet, and they just keep connecting. But the bottom line is, there's, there's still a need for connection. It doesn't matter how many of those connections you have. There's still a need for connection for us. And God wants to meet that need, first of all, with Him. We connect with Him. But then we connect with His people. We connect with others. Because we're better together. We're stronger together. We can accomplish things together that we could never accomplish on our, on, on our own. So with all those things in mind, his perfect character, his good works, his, his deliverance, his provision, and how he really provides for our real needs, I would say we need to have an attitude of gratitude. We need to choose it. We need to be able to say his faithful love endures forever. So how do you do that? You just thank him. Pray a prayer of thanksgiving today, every day. And here's what I can guarantee. If you choose to do that, something crappy will happen to you today. And you won't want to do it. That's when we need to do it. And say, in the middle of all this, God, I still believe your faithful love endures forever. But here's the thing. You will never be fully satisfied until you're fully satisfied in a relationship with God. If you don't have that, the satisfaction that you're looking for in life will never come. You'll spend your whole life looking for it instead of spending the rest of your life enjoying the satisfaction that comes from having a God who cares that much about you. And, and the truth is God made it that way. We're supposed to have that. It says he set eternity in your heart. Because this is not all there is. There's more. That longing that you have for more. C.S. Lewis said, I, I'll never get the quote quite right, but he said, if, if, my, if my longings are not being satisfied by the things of this world, then perhaps I was made for another world. That's how God made us. He wants us to have that satisfaction here, but we were made for another world. And until we have that relationship with him, we will never know what true satisfaction really is. He created that hunger inside you, that thirst for his presence, for his provision. Even if you don't recognize that's what it is, that's what the hunger and thirst is. And until you turn that over to him, there will not be satisfaction. Nothing else on earth will last like God's love because his faithful love endures forever. His patient, pursuing love his enduring love that keeps up its chase forever and ever. He will never give up on you. In fact, when we get to the very end of the story, 
of the Bible. In Revelation 22, we're like at the very end. Here's what he says. The Spirit and the bride say, what does he say? He's still inviting. He's still asking you to come into that relationship with him. And then it says, let anyone who hears this say, you know who that's talking about? Us. The ones who, have, who understand this truth. The ones who have found him in the Bible. We're also to say, come. That's our job. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires, drink freely from the water of life. That's the invitation. And it's, it's an invitation that has so much benefit for us. It's also an invitation that has a flip side if we don't choose him. Because there is, there is that covenant relationship he wants to have with you in which he will never give up on you. It will endure forever. So we choose him and we get more than we could ever imagine. If you've never chosen him, if for you it's been about just coming to church, it, you know, you say, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Why? Well, I go to Journey or Church. You know, you don't become a Christian by going to church. If, if you became something because of where you went, I would be a quarter pounder <laughs> because I'm there more than I'm here. You don't become a Christian by going to church. You don't become a Christian because your parents are Christians. You can be a child of God. He doesn't have grandkids. You have to be his child. And that comes by believing and receiving. It says, whoever received him to those he gave the right, the privilege, the power to become children of God. It's about a relationship with Jesus. Do you need to come to church? Yeah, because that's where we get the connections. But that's not what saves you. What saves you is a relationship with him. And when you meet him and you have that relationship with him, then you say, his faithful love endures forever. You look at your past and you realize, whoa, he forgave that. Because his faithful love endures forever. And he gives us meaning and purpose in life today based on how he shaped us and how he wired us. And he will help us do that thing that when we do it for him, it's like, oh, this is what I was made for. And you'll say, it kind of feels like this is what I made for. And I'll say, that's because it was. That's the kind of satisfaction he wants you to have. And it only comes when we remember that his faithful love endures forever. So you may not feel like having gratitude today. I would say you need to choose it. You need to say in the middle of everything I'm going through, in the middle of what I'm feeling, I'm just going to choose that. I'd like you to bow your heads as we pray. Father, I know that there are times that we go through things that make it difficult for us to choose that. Like everybody, I, I, I don't make that choice every time that I should. I don't have that gratitude bubbling up and flowing out of me because of that incredible deep well of satisfaction in you and sometimes I'm looking at the wrong things. And I pray, Father, that as we learn how to deal with how we feel, that we would learn that we can choose to give thanks because your faithful love endures forever. And regardless of what we're feeling or experiencing, we can still choose 
to live with that attitude of gratitude, knowing that that can change how we feel. That can change our experience. That can change our emotions. It can change the legacy we leave when we do that. Father, we thank you for that. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. And you know what we're going to say on that day when we see him? His faithful love endures forever. Praise God. Three of the hundreds of verses. Give thanks to the Lord for he's good. His faithful love endures forever. Colossians 3. And whatever you do, that's anything. Whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, who we just sang about, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians it says, always be joyful. It doesn't say, be joyful when life is going really good. (laughs) Anybody can do that. Always be joyful. And here's how. Next verse says, never stop praying. (laughs) Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. It all comes down to the answer is Jesus. And we can choose gratitude. We can choose to be thankful in anything because of Jesus. So that's my challenge for you this week. Thank Him. Give thanks so that the people around you who know what you're going through look and see, whoa, something's different about that person. And then you can share the reason for the hope that's in you. Let me pray. Father, we are, we are so grateful that the fact that your faithful love endures forever. We want to be on the right side of that. We want to be on the side of that that says, we have this relationship with you. We have this covenant with you, this mercy, this, this loving kindness, this faithful love, this covenant love will last forever. And we thank you that we can have that because of Jesus. And I ask, Father, that anybody listening to this that doesn't have that relationship with Jesus... They don't know you and haven't come to know you because of what Jesus did for them, that today would be the day in simple faith they turn to you. And they say, I don't understand it, but I, am, I don't know all of what it means, but I believe, Jesus, you did that for me, and I'm giving all that I understand of myself to all that I understand of you. I believe and I'm receiving you as my Savior. We thank you, Father. We want to be thankful people. We want to be grateful people. Help us to choose that. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.